This is a CNA podcast. Now, Health Matters with Daniel Martin. Welcome into Health Matters right here on CNA 938. Thank you all for joining me on today's edition. We need to understand why you're suffering from reflux, that horrible burning sensation that you might feel. The funny thing is, because of its location and the sensation, a lot of people might confuse it with like a heart attack symptoms sometimes, or they might worry that something's happening on a on a cardiac level. How it feels and the kind of sting it can bring, we need to dive into gastroesophageal reflux disease or GERD. Can it be solved? Can it be, you know, can a solution really be had? Or is it just about changing your lifestyle aspects? Dr. Edward Chong is joining me in the studio live. He's senior upper GI consultant out of Pan-Asia Surgery. Dr. Chong, good to have you in the studio. Hi there. Hi there. Thank you for having me, uh, Mr. Martins. Oh, please call me Daniel. Thank good you, to Daniel. have you on board. So good. Reflux disease. You know, we talk about other, the term, is it used interchangeably first and foremost? A lot of people just casually say, I have reflux, I have reflux. Are they referring to the same thing? Yes, they do. Um, it's also called indigestion. Hmm. Uh, Heartburn, acid reflux, or more correctly called uh, gastroesophageal reflux disease. Yeah. Very common or not? It is very common and underdiagnosed, unfortunately. Um, and it carries a very, very important thing because acid reflux in its mildest form just causes esophagitis in the distal esophagus. But in the severe patients, as they get older, the acid reflux can reflux right up into the back of the throat. It goes into their lungs and the acid burns the lung. And unfortunately, that part do not recover. So your lung don't really recover. But those are a smaller percentage of of, of people, but a a lot more, uh, approximately 20% 20% of the population do suffer from acid reflux, but uh, only um, a minority are treated adequately. And in this 20%, another 10 to 20% do develop what is called Barrett's esophagus or Barrett's intestinal malaplasia. Oh. And this is pretty malignant. And if it's not diagnosed or followed up long-term, or if your acid reflux is not controlled or, or treated adequately, this uh, a small proportion of patients with Barrett's, approximately 1% per year will go on to develop um, Barrett's esophageal cancer. You see, that's the thing. This is not just about mild discomfort or, or something that you're dealing with that you can pop an over-the-counter solution for. If left untreated, in some cases, it can lead to real serious consequences. A lot. I mean, it affects not just the cancer of the esophagus, it affects your breathing, it affects your sleep, it affects your whole system. So therefore, uh, it is very, very important to treat it. The, the great thing we found uh, in, uh, in the Asian population is very few people have hiatal hernia, okay. which contributes to the acid reflux. So you've, it's a little bit higher there, That's right. and therefore all the gastric juices. And therefore your lower soft sphincter don't work adequately, and therefore you get reflux. And this is worse predominantly at night when you're lying down. Mm. And the great thing about this is we have the correct... Uh, tool to treat it, the correct tool to to diagnose it. The medications are very, very powerful, but it is very, very important that everything has got to be done appropriately, which means you have to change your diet, your lifestyle, and you got to take the medications. For a small percentage of people whose medication, whether they don't agree with it because they are allergic to it, or it gives them um, other complications such as renal disease or renal failure or bloating or diarrhea 
or infection, then they can go on to have other treatments, which we now provide at Panasia, which is called uh, anti-reflux um, mucosal ablation. And that takes only 20 minutes to get it done. Mm. And you do, uh, and the, the success rate is about 80 to 90% in the right patients. They Wait, do very, very well. Who is that for? Which patient, what, what kind of reflux sufferer is that for? These are for the patients who do not want to be on long-term, Medi- very strong medications. Right. But they still have to have a change in their diet and their lifestyle uh, after this type of procedure for it to work long-term. Okay, I want to talk about what the ablation would entail in a moment. But first, I mean, why would some people be on long-term medication? Are we talking about the over-the-counter varieties that we're talking about? Because the truth is, I have met some people who have told me, yeah, Every time I get the reflux, I just take the, the, the... Then they'll say this brand or they'll say this brand. The ease of availability of a lot of these antacids. Are we specifically referring to antacids here? Exactly. We are specifically re- referring to things such as uh, ranitidine, famotidine. Those are the H2 blockers. And then e- even in certain countries, you can get over-the-counter uh, isomeprazole or omeprazole. Yeah. Um, and of course, the prescribed uh, antacids such as vonaprazone, which are the, one of the latest ones, which are very, very powerful. But long-term, these do carry uh, side effects. What have you heard from patients? How, how long-term have some people taken it? Like every day for years? Uh? Correct. They've been taking it for 20, 30 years. What? 20, 30 years. These are the, these are the, the younger or uh, population which they feel or they are unaware that taking the drugs long-term can have the side effects. And number two, um, getting the reflux treated only intermittently, which means they never had a scope. Mm. They don't know they got Barrett's. They don't know that they have esophagitis or they're too busy to go for go for appropriate um, medical investigations. And these are the ones that suddenly in their 60s and 70s, oops, I got a, a serious problem. And that's the thing. Why wait until that point? Since you said we do have the tools, we know how to diagnose, we know how to, but it's about stepping up. And, and treating it the right way. Having said that, you know, antacids for the right person works great in the, on, the, on the occasions that you need it. Exactly. Because it works so great, you feel so well, <laughs> you say, I don't, need, I don't need further investigations. Yeah. So what happens during the investigation? How do, what are the tools? How do we diagnose? So uh, first, we take a proper history investigations uh, and, and, and examinations, and you look at the patient and everything. But more than likely, you would need an endoscopy, which is like a gastroscopy, to have a look down. Mm. See, that's what people are scared of. That's right. That's, that's what they're scared of. Because, and then the, the next step of that will be a, a, a pH a manometry study, a pH study, which is a probe that is put down into the esophagus, and they carry a Walkman around to monitor and record that much acid reflux you have in your distal esophagus mm. for the for the next 24, 48, 72 hours. So we're looking at function and we're looking at, at volume as well. That's right. We just wanted to prove it because there's a small group of patients where they have the same symptoms of heartburn, but it's actually a, a hypersensitive esophagus or a functional problem and they don't benefit from medications. And that, that those, those small proportion, but it's not very small, like 10, 20%, you have to find them because surgery won't work on them, anti-reflux treatment won't, won't, won't work on them and anti-reflux medications won't work on them. Okay, so let's talk about the, for that group of patients where they've been on long-term medication mm-hmm. and an anti-reflux surgery might be best. You mentioned earlier on the concept of ablation, for example. How so, does that work? So uh, ablation works as a sedation, uh, done under sedation in the day procedure, which comes from a gastroscopy, and then we, we diagnose it and we, we ablate the mucosa, creating fibrosis and scarring over the next uh, 
one, two months and then tightened up because your lower soft Because that's what we're worried about. We don't exactly. want that scarring to be happening and building up. But we tighten up the lower soft your sphincter valve to extend that it allows you to eat and drink normally, but without the reflux. But that is, as I mentioned earlier, that is not the only thing you need to do. Yeah. You've got to maintain a good diet and good lifestyle after uh, the procedure for it to work long term. That's for patients who do not want uh, to have a, a surgery to re- repair their lower esophageal sphincter valve or hiatal hernia. Mm. And it's perfect for the Asian uh, Pacific patients because they usually have a very small hiatal hernia only, whereas uh, Western patients have big hiatal hernias and therefore this procedure may not always work on them. So this is a minimally invasive procedure? Very minimally invasive. So it's endoscopic procedure. You don't feel anything. You're home within the next couple of hours. Bang. So again, it, tightening up the sphincter, obviously, like you mentioned, lifestyle changes have to happen as well. But tightening up the sphincter in that area after the ablation is being done, that's enough to improve? In 80% of the patients, they don't they have to go back on medications. That's how good they are. But don't you also have to deal with the valve situation? And that's what we did. We, we, so we, we, we scarred up the valve to create uh, a tightened area at the lower end of the esophageal sphincter. Mm. So you help that bit. That's what it does. Ah, I see. So okay. it just tightens it. That's amazing because it's also pre- we're preventing something from getting worse because we've ablated off a lot of that scarring going on, and we've gone to the root issue Correct. as well, which is the functional things that's causing that um, the the juices to come up and down. But at the same time, you got to do your part and make sure that yep. you're not succumbing to the first world problems. Bingo! Yeah. It, it's a it's a, another difficult uh, dimension there. The diet, the lifestyle, the drink, the sleep, everything. Sleeping, stressed. Uh, your mental thing. The diet is important because there's certain food that uh, relaxes your lower esophageal sphincter even more. And certain foods uh, increase acid secretions in your stomach. Yeah. And certain foods delay gastric emptying. So there's those different types of foods. And typically, we tell them uh, to avoid things like smoking and alcohol, acidic food, uh, cheese, caffeine, uh, carbonated drinks, um, eating late at night, especially just before you go to bed, yeah. uh, having a very, very big meal in the evening. So we say try to have your main meal at lunchtime. Avoid having a glass of water by the bedside or a, a bottle of water at the bedside so that you wake up in, in the middle of the night and you keep drinking and you keep swallowing. The more you drink at night when you have the reflux or heartburn, although you think that you're getting rid of the symptoms of heartburn in the middle of the night, it's actually a very, very bad practice because you're already lying flat and supine. So when you drink, the water goes down and it mixes with the stomach acid. And then when you're lying supine again at 3 o'clock in the morning, the water flows all the way back up your throat and it burns while you're in bed, while you're asleep, not noticing. Because this your lower esophageal sphincter valve is not working. Yeah. And that defeats the purpose, but it treats your symptoms. And the, and, and the other side of it is there is a lot of people walking around without much uh, heartburn symptoms mm. because they've de- developed Barrett's. Yeah. When they develop Barrett's, the lining of the lower esophagus is almost um, immune or numb to the acid. So it, can, it protects you. You, do, you don't get the esophagitis, but you have Barrett's. And, and, and when you think that you don't have the symptoms, and then you go on and on for the next 10, 20 years, and then suddenly, boom, yeah. you got a huge problem. So really, the key message for a lot of people today, it's great that we have tools and options at our disposal, medication for the right people in some cases, lifestyle changes, the surgical option, but don't let it reach that point through all the wear and tear of living with the uh, reflux where you're going to need it, really. So the, the point is we can intervene much earlier if we need to. 
We need to, yeah, yeah. And, and and that's why I said at, in, your, in your 50s and 60s, this is your business end of your life. Yeah. Get your scopes, get it checked, get it done. Don't worry about it. It's, yeah. it's under sedation. When you wake up, it's all finished. You should not feel a thing. You can't feel it. I've done scopes, lads. Fine, don't worry. You're knocked out. It's the best sleep of your life, everyone. Uh, Dr. Chong, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for Thank joining you. me. Thank you very much. Helping us understand gastroesophageal reflux disease. Uh, we're talking to Dr. Edward Chong, Senior Upper GI Consultant out of Pan-Asia Surgery. This is Health Matters. Before making any decisions based on the information in our program, please consult a medical professional.